0: Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Well, hello and welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. This season, we are focusing on deconstructing church, taking a look at where the church has been and where it's going. Today, we have the privilege of uh, having Bill Randall join us. Uh, He and his wife, Jill, are forerunners in the church's move away from traditional models of ministry and into new and creative expressions of the kingdom. Both Bill and Jill are global directors of Pioneering Initiatives, a missional tribe within the Novo Band of Missionaries. And Pioneering Initiatives is a collection of leaders and teams situated in the U.S. and Europe who are committed to making disciples from among the harvest, developing emerging leaders, multiplying everything, with the celebrated outcome of new expressions of culturally relevant multiplying churches. Bill serves as the director of PI and spends his time equipping and coaching teams, developing resources, and recruiting new missionaries. Uh, His wife, Jill, serves as the director of staff vitality for both PI and Church Next Division of Novo. As a lead shepherd, she cares how our missionaries are doing, not only what they are doing, Bill is also the author of The Life Jesus Made Possible, which is available on Amazon. So a little plug for you there, Bill. Uh, (laughs) An intensely practical and applicable book that helps Christians activate their God-given agency by seeing where God is at work and joining him in his quest to transform the world inch by inch in the context of everyday life. The Randalls live in Boise, Idaho, and are located just 15 minutes from their three married children and five grandchildren. Bill, thanks so much for joining us. Certainly appreciate it. Yeah, come on. It. This is fun. <laughs> so I, I saw a Facebook post of you the other day where it was 102 in Boise uh I I did not know that it got that hot can, in Boise I thought it was all yeah yeah, yeah. snow no it definitely <laughs> the
1: summer it can creep up so we've had we've had some hot yeah. ones
0: yeah well thanks for joining us again but um one of the first things I wanted to do is just kind of start off with something <laughs> funny and uh you know church is church is a church is a funny place at times um because it's made up of people and uh crazy crazy things happen uh in in ministry and church life and i mean it's the kind of stuff that like um you 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 couldn't create it. You know, like you couldn't, like, there's no way we even think of something like this happening. So I uh, wanted to ask you, do you have any crazy church no. stories? Like just, Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe it. And remember, remember, yeah, it's right no, I can't
1: share some of them. So I'm, 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 but I, I, did, <laughs> I can, I can't think of a few that were funny. Like my, like my first wedding, 1985, we planted a church, got invited to do my cousin's wedding. So uh, we're doing the wedding and I'm at this, this, this epic point of the ceremony. And I just was just wanted to convey to them that God was so pleased, so happy. And I just with just, just without any awareness of what I said, I said, I just want you to know, I see Jesus. He's smiling from chin to chin. And. <laughs> and we just kind of, I didn't understand what, I didn't understand why people thought that was humorous, you know, and I, I didn't know till afterwards I'd say that. Or another time, uh, years later, in another church I uh, ministered to, I was going through the book of Revelation and came to that, that section of, where they talk about they mark their heads with the 666. And uh, and I just with passion built up to this moment in the sermon, and I put my fingers across my forehead and I said, and you know, still today there are ways we can be marked, you know, on our foreskin, you know, with six, six, six. <laughs> <laughs> and again, once again, I saw the elders like like rolling in the aisle, and I thought, you know, it was kind of a serious, kind of a prophetic moment. I didn't understand, or but actually, one of the one of the most meaningful. Memories I have is in our first church plant. I was sharing about you know some sections, scripture from uh, the Gospels, and we talked about how uh, in the in the in the early Jesus movement, people were bringing their friends to Jesus. It wasn't this, you know, try to attract them. and people wanted people to connect with Jesus, and they couldn't get in because the house was completely filled. So some friends brought their 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 friend on a pallet, and they went up on the roof, and they tore open the roof, and they got him down there, and you know, yay! We talked about that, and and uh, and I I made a comment like like look at this, look at our house church, it's totally packed. and I made a joke about how we're going to have to open the roof, and you know, whatever. Well, anyway, the meeting was over, and afterwards, the owner of the house came up to me, says, "What are you doing this weekend?" And we ended up, he got a work crew together, we blew out his whole front of his house and extended it by six feet. And we were able to get about another 25 people in the house. So anyway, there's some
0: fun There's some fun stories. Yeah, those are great. Um, Kristen, did you have one to share? I'm thinking of one right now. Uh, but did you have um, one?
2: So the funniest thing that I can think of, I mean, lots, obviously, lots of things happen at church just because you have so many people in one spot. But um, we were doing family picnics during the summer. They were called Summer Nights. And I was in charge of the music and the playlist. We used Spotify at the time, and we but we did not have a membership. It was just the version with ads. And so I had my playlist all set. It was like, you know, upbeat, like David Crowder and things like that. Um, and I hit play and the speakers are on. And the very first thing that pops up or is blasting to the whole family picnic is an ad for Trojan condom
1: yeah (laughs) that could have been the most helpful thing that that (laughs) yeah Yeah.
2: so no one who was there has ever let me live that down
0: (laughs) no no that's so it was hilarious bill so the speakers and everything are set up like on the second floor of the building so we're like scrambling to run up the stairs get inside Turn them off, yeah. and by the time the we actually played. got to them, you know the commercial, yeah. the whole ad. There was played. no
2: stopping it at that point. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> it was, it it was the, yeah, hilarious, hilarious. Um, well, hey, one what, what of the th- what we've been talking about really on this um, uh, podcast is. Uh, deconstructing church in that it seems that there's a move and especially the U.S. church um, away from traditional local church models into new and creative expressions of church. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to uh, ask you to join us is because you're kind of right in the middle of that. Um, not only are you in the middle of that, but you're one of the primary uh movers in that in that realm um, and have you know you having 30 years of local church ministry experience and then making that shift I mean that makes you a bit of an outlier um, amongst church leaders so um, what I wanted to ask first of all is could you just tell us a little bit about kind of your church upbringing um, you know what Where did you grow up in church? Did you grow up in church? What was your, you know, what were your experiences, both positive and negative?
1: Yeah, so uh, I didn't really grow up in church. It was in high school that I got invited by a girl that I was attracted to to go to the youth group, and uh, it seemed like always a girl. seemed like a good idea. So the second or third time I was there, it just uh, the gospel was presented each night, and it was a large youth group in a in a real strong. Big church, programmatic church, and um, and I crossed the line of faith, and it was real. It took it took uh, you know in my heart, and and it really was a turning point for me. I, I wanted to share with everybody. I didn't do it with much tact in those early years, but uh, you know, so I'm grateful for the institutional church. I th- I think you know I'm not against it, uh, but we do see you know the failure of the church in the sense of of how many in droves are leaving. Uh, the church um, for, for want of something they're not experiencing. I'm sure we'll talk about that some, Uh, but I, but I live with this hope that the church that exists can be repaired and healed and delivered and set free to, to flourish in the ways that Jesus uh, would have as, as uh, he serves as the head of the church. Uh, And, and some people are really made, they're wired by God to be in that place of renovation and um, and restoration you know, my call early on was to do something else. I remember sitting in, in a, in, I went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, sitting, hearing, uh, you know, people complain about the local churches in Massachusetts and the Boston area where we lived. And I, and I just thought, we are the future leaders of the church and all we're going to do is complain. And so we got to do something about it. So uh, my wife and I started some small groups that kept multiplying and ended up uh, being the base of our first church plant and um and so we've had a career of church planting so when i say i've been involved in the the you know the church that exists it's been primarily through church planting and then i did uh, have a uh, a bit of time in a in a local church that was about five years old when i took the lead of it so i've had i'd have tasted both i've i've taught uh, future leaders through seminary in, in a university setting equipping them. So I've seen and been a part of been a part of a, a denomination. Uh, but there was just something in me the whole time. So I, I, we've got to constantly pioneer uh, for the sake of a new generation. Um, the wineskin that we inherited will not be the wineskin that carries us in the future. So we, we, let's be open. Let's pray. Let's be courageous to experiment. And that's kind of been our life
0: what were some of the frustrations that you had in the local church like for, so you're you're talking about things from the the pastor side or the leader side like what were what were the frustrations like man i just uh, yeah. uh you know i just wish there i could do something here yeah so w- one of the early ones
1: was the angst i felt in the uh, the um contrast between what scriptures were shouting as to what was available to us through uh, a dynamic abiding life with Jesus and an empowered life by the Spirit, and what was taught and what was functionally embraced as as to what people were depending on, and I and, and it, the thing is, is I got I I was you know led to Jesus in a context of of a church that functionally did not believe that that the Holy Spirit was working in the same manner. In this generation as as in the biblical times. And so uh the but the problem was those people who led me to the Lord gave me a Bible and I read it. And so I would I would bring up those questions like, but
0: that's your first mistake, right?
1: <laughs> but but wait, what about this? And what about that? And they they uh they finally, you know, they I, I think I wore them out, but um I had a spiritual thirst that um you know, I would say the first thing I realized is that my quest for uh, encountering the spirit that is promised by Jesus to live the life he made possible, uh, it was going to come th- another way than through the institutional setting that I had been uh, brought into the faith. So it did begin uh, after uh, we got, my wife and I got married and we moved to the East Coast and I was in seminary. So it was even reinforced because we were studying about you know, the life of God and theology and church history and missions and, but there was no power. It was, it was doctrine without functional reliance. And uh, that led me into this desperate pursuit of, of, of God for an encounter with his presence. And it finally, you know, the d- d- one evening and Late December, uh, you know, before the Christmas holiday, I had an encounter with his um, his love, truth, and power that changed my life. That would be one thing. It's just um, I just knew there had to be more. There had to be more. There is there is no way the life that's described in the book of Acts uh, compares to what most people are settling for. And so that was the first thing. And that was life changing. That was life altering. I have never uh since that point, you know, experience the word or worship or ministry. I mean, I prayed before that, but afterwards I, you know, after that encounter, when we prayed, we started seeing stuff happen. Um, You know, encounters with, with God's love and his power, people healed and set free and um, Mm -hmm. just, just the generosity of God released him. He was always, he never changed, but I think just a humble posture of dependency was, was increased at that time in my life. I think the other thing is just watching church after church that I, before I planted one, uh, my experience was we would sit and then we would split. We would sit and then we would split. We wouldn't do anything. I mean, it was talked, it was talk, 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 learn, 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 but there was no courageous obedience or response or application or multiplication. And I think um, I—that was an early thing. There must be more, and it, and it led me to the conclusion that I, I don't want to live a life of complaint and re- reaction. I want to do something about. it. So that's why we started planting churches.
0: Yeah, that's very true, isn't it? Like we 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 come and we're we're just very settled and satisfied with with listening, and then kind of going out and in a lot of senses, just kind of doing our own thing, you know? Um, And, and it really is true when you read the book of Acts, you're like, what I'm seeing here is not what I'm seeing when I go to church. And I remember when I was in, uh, I don't know, three or four years as a Christian, I did, I had the same uh, problem. I started reading the book of Acts and the things that were being, it's not necessarily the things that were being preached. It was just, the way life was done in the church was drastically different than what I was reading. I'm like, I, it's, it's like, it's two separate entities. Like I don't see this in the church. I, I love the people. They're wonderful. The pastor was great, but just the way we're engaging culture, the way we're loving one another, the way we're engaging, uh, you know, the spirits work among us. Like I, I'm not seeing that. Um, and then so you as a pastor you're on the other side wanting more but then the people that you make up your congregation did you ever notice that they pushed back against that? Well, that's why I like
1: church planting cuz in in those uh, churches we planted uh, throughout uh, New England and Southern California I mean you're going you're starting with the goers so it's a, it was a whole different thing so then I landed in a church that was 5 years old and uh, and it grew quickly. I mean, it. I wasn't a huge church, but it was, it, you know, about 800 people. And so, you know, went from simplicity and you know, we, we gather to grow, scatter to serve was kind of like our mantra. To to this confusing like machine, it felt like a machine that you just had to keep going. You know, millions of dollars in in uh, property and uh, facility debt. Uh, you know, so dollars were always on your mind and there was pressures, you know, with uh with a uh, you know, we had a great staff, but when you have 800 people and they haven't been mobilized to take responsibility for their own spiritual formation and kind of um, you know, they're not they're not really leaving with the intention to put into practice. So it, I started waking up in the morning going, what am I doing? What are we doing? Uh and it started messing with me not just emotionally but but theologically. and uh, began asking big questions like, okay, we need to rethink ecclesiology. We need to rethink, you know, the, the actual structure and strategy of church, the brick and mortar, Sunday centric, program dependent, expert led gig. Uh, well, well again, I'm grateful for the good that it's done. I'm in the kingdom of God because of a church like that. I think there's the world is waiting for something that's more nimble, uh, simple, rep you could replicate. And uh, so that's what we've given our lives to.
0: Yeah. So um, one of the ways that I talk about is kind of when people come to this realization, um, at whatever point in our walk is there's kind of a holy discontent that kind of manifests itself. You know, like I don't hate the people. I don't hate the institutions. I just feel like there's got to be more. So, you know, it's kind of like this holy discontent, right? Can you share a little bit more about kind of that process for you, how it came about and uh, kind of what you did about
1: it? Yeah. I've kind of shared my own angst on it. it was just the realization that we could you know, we could be spending a lot of money and gobs of time and asking people to commit lots of time and lots of money to something that wasn't actually doing the one thing clearly Jesus told us to do, and that's to make fruitful disciples that multiply. So um, what i what I notice everywhere I go is that if if people will be honest, if they feel safe and 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 so forth, and they tell you in an honest moment, even pastors, they know something's not working, something's off, but they don't know how to change it. And if they even have a glimmer of 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 an idea how to do it, they it's too costly or it's too scary. Uh, and so yeah, so it leaves us in a kind of a a, a tough spot, doesn't it? Um, and so there's there's I, I would say the way it's mostly shared with me is like I something's off. I don't know what it is. I think there's more. And um, so we, Jill and I, you know, we have to come and, and kind of stir that up uh, and allow them to feel uh, the loss and the confusion and and process it through what you're calling, and I, I think it's a good word, but to deconstruct it, like it's not, the, it's not that we're saying no to it, but we need to think through what exactly are we made for and what is the purpose of, of, of the church that Jesus said he would build. And it's his church, so let's go back to the original, you know, document and um, and and think through it and and ask, you know, if we just did only what Jesus asked us to do, as as revealed in Scripture and the promptings of His Holy Spirit, would we be doing all the stuff and and be spending money on all these things? Um, is there not a more simple way that we could mobilize everybody to something that could actually more likely? Uh, profit to the transformation of neighborhoods and networks.
0: All right. So you're, you church planter, you're uh, pastoring, a, I mean, 800 people, I don't care where you are. That's, that's a large church, right? That's, that's, like you said, it's a machine. Um, so then you kind of step away into that and you're moving into what eventually I think would become pioneering initiatives. Is that, how yeah so happens. we
1: we had done all kinds of you know creative things to to uh, be able to discover develop and deploy a new generation of of creative courageous uh, kingdom servants so the last version of that after you know we played with all kinds of ideas which I won't go into um but I wanted to I wanted to bring a higher level of theological reflection um I and I love I love some of those missional groups that are mobilizing young people. My daughter was a missionary with YWAM for four years. i, I taught on YWAM basis for for a real long time. I believe in that, but but I but I so kind of like that. But I wanted to add some some more depth in the theological for, formation and a, a bit more robust on on um, on courageous spirit dependent missionality. And so we created a thing called LEC Life Equipping Community. We did that for five years, and um, and then I had this you know this uh, career shift out of the local church, and uh, invited into through this crazy story, but into a, this organization that we're now a part of called Novo, and um, it's a global sending agency that that just is, is it's it's. It's like when we met this place, because we were asked to speak at a at its international gathering, that's how we met Novo. I didn't know anything about it. And we just felt like, here's our people. Where have they been our whole life? I mean, I didn't even know there. Were, this was a way, this wasn't presented, you know, in all my education or the options in the denomination to actually, instead of being in the middle of the local church, to be able to be someone who comes alongside and actually is more apostolically poised to start new things that multiply, that don't require the continuing dependency on me. And so, um, yeah, so we, yeah, we were often running on, on, on wanting to run with that organization. We moved to San Francisco to take LEC life equipping community, uh, into a, a more urban, like way more urban, <laughs> uh, from, from Redding, California to, uh, you know, to the city, of uh, San Francisco. And we had nine full-time interns that we did life with for a year. It was fantastic. It was, it was in the direction, but we, we, you know, we still, there still was that dependency on us. We still, it was still like running a a church plant that you had started a little more gravitas towards equipping to release them. We knew that we would have them for one year and that they would be off. Some of them became novo missionaries. Some of them went off and went on staff in other churches. So it's great. I mean, it, it, in that sense, it worked, but it still wasn't lighting us up as to where we felt God was 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 really calling us. And so, I was invited to to dream, and and uh, the dream actually was pioneering initiatives, where I wanted to turn the church planting model upside down. Um, and and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, probably. But uh, yeah, so that was uh, September of 2016 was the birth of this thing called pioneering initiatives. And uh, started off with one couple. <laughs> and, and I think now we, we, we've, got, uh, we've got nine teams with three or four more uh, teams onboarding. And so it, it's grown. Uh, it's grown and we're, we're seeing people come to know the Lord. We're seeing churches planted. Um, and it's a delight to just be able to be a cheerleader, a coach, you know, a consultant an equipper uh, to people really doing some fantastic work.
0: Yeah, if you um, just wanted to briefly maybe share a little bit about your ecclesiological shift, Um, and for those that are listening and may not understand the term ecclesiology, it's just the study of the church, the theology of the church. Like, how do we think and believe about the church's mission, its identity, its purpose? Um, What was that shift for you?
1: Yeah, so... um, the shift was, I, you know, part of the, the genius of the early church was that uh, Jesus called regular people to follow him. I mean, he would take, he would take trained people. I mean, you know, uh, Paul got in he was one of the most educated uh, early Christians, but I mean, a lot of people were just everyday people that got lit up by the love and uh, presence of God and, and the idea of, of spreading good news. And, um, And they were mobilized to do phenomenal things. Peter was a fisherman, uh, untrained, unschooled, you know, uh, but he had been with Jesus. And so, I mean, one of the things that I would say is a main main shift is is again, it's the ministry of 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 the everyone and and the you know the the nobodies, you know, by the world standards. Sometimes, Uh, if they find their calling and um, and understand their their authority and uh, their their capacity in Jesus in Christ, um, then we can get into the nooks and crannies. I mean, a, a local church with one gifted leader up front that's giving his shout out once a week, and then the people sit and take their notes, and then go home and don't do anything with it for a whole week. It's 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 a small amount of of actual change can come to a neighborhood and network. But if you could light up everybody, and even if it's a smaller amount of people, but they all are activated. You have a great potential for, for seeing um, the kinds of things happen that we see, you know, we see in the pages of scripture and it, not just in the pages of scripture, it's going on. And finally, I'm seeing it begin to, you know, uh, increasingly take place in the United States and Western Europe, which is something, you know, we've all been waiting for Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin context, um, Africa, um, you know, they're way ahead of us on, on this dependency on prayer, mobilizing everybody simple discipleship that multiplies. So that's the, I would say that's a big, one of the big shifts in, in away from the idea of programmatic dependency to, to a model of discipleship. That's, that's simple that, you know, you can sit down with somebody and they get it and they can go turn around and share it with somebody the next day.
0: Yeah. I think you shared with me once about, um, in, in pioneering initiatives, it's what it's low accountability and high relationship,
1: something like that. And then the local churches,
0: low control, low control, high trust. Sorry. Help me out there. Yeah. (laughs) High trust, low control is like, it's the, it's the
1: ethos. It's the environment for people to flourish when people are over controlled and not trusted. And that's, you know, that's, The unfortunate story of a lot of people's experience with the local church.
2: Well, and I think the one thing that you've shared with us, I think one of our calls was um, how multiplying is normal. So in other words, making new disciples, teaching them to go make disciples just becomes a part of their normal Christianity. They don't know any other different way to do it. And that was really refreshing to me as um a lifetime churchgoer believer. Um where I think maybe more in American cultural context, our idea of making a new disciple is inviting them to church with us. Yeah. Yeah. For Sunday morning. And so that was a really refreshing idea to me is like, oh my gosh, yeah, imagine if that was just normal. Like yeah. this is just what we do. Um, how different would our, would the church at large look?
1: Yeah. Well, the reason that's such a big idea is because that's actually the plan. That's, that's that's broadcast. You're actually told you're trained that if you want to see your friends come to Jesus, then you have to invite them Mm -hmm. to this, to this gigantic thing. And, um, it just doesn't make sense, especially in a generation that's looking for authenticity and relational, you know, yeah. you know, honest relationship um, to be brought to something that is just. I mean, for the unchurched, going and singing with a bunch of people I don't know, it just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that that um, you know that there's a generation that are voting with their feet that we need to not just criticize them like oh those darn millennials like we need to listen there's there's we we need to we need to listen we need to we need to grieve we need to change
2: mm-hmm. absolutely well and i think that's part of the that cry for authenticity is maybe a more typical sunday morning is a show um no matter how what the scale is. Cause our Sunday morning was pretty simple by most standards. We didn't have any fog machines. Um, but yeah. there's still like this, it's a production, right? And there's a production element. And we would talk every week about how you have to have somebody producing the service because it has to flow when things have to go a certain way. And that's, Obviously, is the opposite of authentic. <laughs> um, yeah. Something that's produced, um, and they, like you said, they're really wanting something that's more authentic and real. Um, and I think they they need to see us. Our lives need to look different. So why on earth would they join up with something where I'm just as a I'm just as much of a wreck as my neighbor? who doesn't love Jesus.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's inconceivable in the early church that leaders would not be practitioners, but that is, that is not true today. And the leaders can teach on stuff they never obey. Yeah. They can they can call people to do stuff they aren't doing. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, you know, there's, there's another con- con- contributor to the angst, I think.
2: Yeah. Seriously.
0: Yeah. I know as a, as a pastor for 15 years, it's like, I I know that I should be discipling people and I know that I should be engaging the, you know, the unchurched in our community, but this machine that I got to keep going, I got to keep the, the wheels rolling. I mean, that's 50, 60, 70 hours a week of just trying to keep this thing going. Like I remember, um, really at times, like I'm not even reading the Bible for myself. I'm reading the Bible to prepare for sermons or teachings and, Mm -hmm. and, and and like, I'm not even praying (laughs) for like, you know, for intimacy with Christ. I'm praying for more money to keep this thing going, you know? And and it's like this machine just like sucks up all of your time as a leader. And you're, you're almost unable to do the things that you know you should be doing. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it's even in the leadership, not just the pew. Yeah. From a, again, another theological reflection
1: is that a lot of leaders are taught, they jump straight to ecclesiology, how to run the machine, you know, how to make it grow, how to, how to oil the, the cogs, you know, and, and just to keep it, keep it rolling, how to, how to raise the the budget, how to do church growth. So when, when you start with ecclesiology, rather than starting with Christology, which is our who is Jesus? Who is the King? Who's us all belong to? Where does it all come from? Who who am I and and, and who is He in me and that whole thing? And then from a, from Christology, we skip we skip Christology. We also skip Missiology, which is what is this Jesus who is our Christ, the Anointed King? Call what did He do? Well, he said, one of the things He He told us to follow Him. And so what did he do? He he gave himself away as a servant. He was missional. I mean, the mission is defined by the Christ of the mission. So, but we pass that. We go straight to like, let's run a business. Let's, you know, figure out how to uh, how to get people yeah. to come and keep coming and keep paying. And and so when you when you skip Christology and missiology and you go straight to ecclesiology, you get what we got. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. That's a great point. We
2: just noticed, um, and that'll be my last point because I know you want to move on. But we um, have been able to be at a gym for a month or so, and people, you know, pay their dues and they show up and they expect a certain level of service from this gym, and they want classes at certain times. And we over here in various settings that. The complaining about, I can't believe they canceled this, and I can't believe they switched this time. And I came home and I told Dan, it's hysterically funny, but these people sound like church people. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> church people do the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah. Thing. They write yeah. their check like yeah. their dues. Yep. And then they expect to have a certain level of service, and when it doesn't go. According to their expectation, you have to switch a kid's teacher. You have to switch a time or whatever they complain. And we just thought, man, imagine if we were living on mission, according to what Jesus said, yeah. you really wouldn't have any time for complaining. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, um yeah, back to your story, Bill. So you are... um you know, kind of uh, the Novo story. You're with Novo. You're doing the internship, but even even with the internship, you're still feeling like there's there's still a missing piece to it. So um, you're moving into pioneering initiatives, uh, kind of creating that. So so what's the dream? What's the vision? What's the what's the model of church that you're really trying to birth? Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, it's on the one hand, it's simple. And uh, in, in terms of the ideation of it, what's hard is is uh, you know is is there is a cost. It is different. You, you're going to be different if you if you choose into this, especially in the Western context. But it's rather than start uh, with a with the idea of the program, the the venue, and the expert, and the you know the 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 cool guy or gal worship leader. And then say, you know, if we build it, they will come. And that is send out a bunch of postcards or whatever you do to advertise to get people to come. Um, we just flipped that upside down. We said, you know, maybe someday we'll have a worship venue. Uh, probably not that form. But instead of starting with the venue, starting with the the structure, we start with the one thing it was we were clearly told to do. And that's make disciples. And um and it's not just improving already Christians, but when Jesus, you know, gave the Great Commission to go, it meant get out of your little bubble and go to the people that were far from God, hurting, broken, wounded, and make disciples of the people groups of Earth that that need God. And 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 it wasn't just you know have them become Christians. He said make them become followers, you know, learners, um, interns of Jesus that. Um, so teach them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. And then we go back through the pages of the gospels and he told those first followers before they were even converted to participate in the, the, the campaign of hope that God sent through Jesus Christ. And so, uh, yeah, that's, so that's, that's what we've done is we're starting with teams that um, function as fam- as families on mission that, that pray together, that um, encourage and hold each other accountable to the promise they made Jesus and each other, and they go on mission. And the mission they go on is not something that uh, I send to them, say, hey, this is what you should do. They, we, we train and encourage the, 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 the teams to sit and listen to God, prayer walk, and get their call to their missional context from the Lord himself. And that will be individuals will sometimes hear different things. And in the group as a whole, we'll go on mission together for some of those adventures. But they go into the mission field. They go into we call missional spaces. A missional space is any place where you can consistently be believer and non-believer together long enough to build a relational equity, to earn the right. So when life happens and the needs leak out, then Jesus can leak out. And we can invite them what we call it into a discovery process. And and it's just, you know, being spirit dependent on, you know, what is the best fit for this particular person. We don't have a one size fit all. Sometimes it's may I pray for you? Sometimes it's, hey, could I invite you to investigate the scripture that's that's spoken to me that has seems like it might be relevant to what you're going through? It could be, hey, you want to come over to the house, we're having a barbecue. But it's it's those type of things that are relevant to take the person one step closer. So we meet people that are far from God and far from us. They're strangers, but we're with them long enough that we become acquaintances. So we remember their name, we, we, we get to see each other and it's not like, oh, introduce all over again. But acquaintances have the opportunity to become friends. And in uh, Christian history, friends and family are who lead people across the line of faith, not strangers.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, thing that you mentioned about relational equity—we uh, that earn the right to speak the truth, to speak love, to speak hope, uh, to share the gospel. Somewhere along the way, in the last hundred years or so, um, we kind of—I think—as a as a church, we've we've lost that. Um, I don't know if we just feel like we already have it, therefore we don't have to go through that process, yeah. but you know, when you're just inviting someone to church and then you're sharing them with the gospel, like you haven't built any relational equity, you know, the, the speaker to the person, like there's, there's nothing there. Um, And yeah, I just really feel like that's a a missing link that we're not um, giving a lot of attention. Yeah. 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 yeah, and 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 I think it's really like if that's really the missing link, then every believer now has an opportunity to get in the ball game because everyone can build a relationship. Not everyone can preach a beautiful three-point sermon, but everyone can build relational equity.
1: Yeah. And so when when um went through that, you know, the honor of of walking somebody toward Jesus, and they actually do have that encounter, they cross the line of faith. The, I think the other unique thing is in our in our paradigm, is immediately we we we, at, we invite them to go on mission with us. We don't they don't have to go through a twelve month training program and just sit and you know fill up three ring binders. But the best learning environment the the best <laughs> learning environment is is you're going to get us in trouble, Bill. <laughs> yeah, it's to be in the middle is is to be be in the middle of the action which Jesus created us for. And mm-hmm. so there there's for sure there's there's pre pre-brief, but then we take them on mission and then we debrief. That's that's where people learn. That's where the lasting learning happens is in obedience, not in, you know, again, what we call what we've called learning and what we've called education in the local church is is actually just, you know, increasing knowledge without increasing obedience. And that's not discipleship. So
2: yeah, isn't it so interesting yeah. that we equate the knowledge of facts? With somehow now I'm closer to Jesus because yeah. I know a lot about the Bible yeah. or I, I've yeah. memorized lots of scripture. Um, but it's like if you haven't put it into practice, if there's no praxis, mm-hmm. then is it really? Yeah. And I love I like the relational aspect as well because I grew up in very you know traditional evangelical right wing environment where you needed to evangelize people on the bus and yeah, on am yeah. plane. And yeah. I hate that. I am not good that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm the worst. I'm, I'm pretty good at being people's friends or a friend to people. I'm good at that. I'm good at helping you if you need help. Um, but I'm terrible at telling you you're going to hell. And thank you the need Lord. Right yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, you know the interesting thing is is I don't know the exact. Only in heaven would they know. But let's say ten percent of the body of Christ actually is mantled with evangelistic, you know, capacity. Right. The the rest of us, I mean, what? So what is evangelism for people who are not evangelists? For the ninety percent of us, and it's it's we can we can do what the scriptures tell us to do if if we really investigate all the models of the New Testament, which is. Make friends of people far from God, serve them, care for them, you know, under the under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and win the right to be heard. And 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 life will happen. There'll be a, a marriage issue. There'll be a health issue. There'll be something will come up and it gives us it's because we're friends. We're not strangers.
2: Yeah. We, you exactly.
1: know, It's like when a friend says, May I pray for you, that's different than a, a total stranger at the airport. I mean it's yeah. just it, it's the that's yeah, just you,
2: weird. If I have a stranger come up to me and say, yeah. you know, God told me such and such, I'm like, you know, no thanks, moving well, along.
1: Well, what's amazing is that there are setups by God, divine appointments, where the, there there are those stories, but when we make that the way it's when we normalize that, it's like it's like taking what what Luke says of Paul in Acts 19, he says, and God did extraordinary miracles through him by so taking handkerchiefs and you know, whatever, to the sick and they got healed. Well, that wasn't normal. He said, that's extraordinary. But when we take the extraordinary and put that on all believers who don't in that kind of kingdom moment have that anointing, then we're all failures and we will will try and get worn out and then we'll have nothing to do with it. And that's the invitation, I think, is, is to simplify this thing down to like, can we, okay, can I do evangelism that other way? No, I tried it. I hate it. Can you slowly become friends with people far from God by by just being, you know, doing interesting things that that a believer and a non-believer could have in common? Um, by, you know, having play groups with the kids, by joining the same recreational groups, by just so many creative ways we can do it. And the and the pressures on the Lord to just create the environment through our authentic connection with people that. We know it's going to happen. It's a matter of, are we going to be there when life happens? And then will we be brave as friends to then bring the resources that God gives us, whether it be, may I pray for you or, or discovery Bible study, or, you know, the thing of hospitality or share. Sometimes we can just share the gospel. Like, man, I think you might, you might need what I found was the only answer in my life was, was to give my heart over to the Lord. I mean, the, that that has to be earned but it it will come it's just a matter of will we keep setting up the dominoes to that time when it's perfect and then god just pushes that first one and then we have we have a movement yeah
0: yeah so tell me a little bit um or tell us share a little bit just some stories about you know where where is this working where where do you see this working how is it working um yeah just Cause it's all good ideas, but is it actually, yeah, working? Yeah. <laughs> are there models somewhere out there where this is happening?
1: Well, what I, you know, what I've been doing over the last decade has been studying, you know, models of, of gospel, um, uh, multiplication where there's not just a one-off here and there, but where there's actually what I'll, I'll just describe it as a rapid multiplication of new disciples who uh, become part of the process themselves. And so, uh, fortunately, there, there are just incredible movements of the gospel throughout the world. To study it, you, you know, you, you pretty much have to look to Africa, Southeast Asia, and, you know, um, and the end the, honestly, the Middle East is blowing up um, in disciple making right now. Uh, so in studying those things, we found out that simplicity matters, consistency matters, uh, there is, there is a, you know, breaking out of old habits, like insisting, like some of our things, like you got to come to the building on the certain day and we have to, you know, there's, there's some of that deconstruction, but where they figured this out, um, it's, it's, it's happening. I, I mean, we have, we have, uh, a, a, a team that's, you know, in Beirut, which right, you know, as we know, just had a gigantic, terrible bombing, um, but what's interesting, they were able to immediately mobilize. They have thousands of um, DBS people participating across the city, and they were able to mobilize and have them rise up quickly because it's a movement of, of people that are already committed to mission, already committed to sacrifice and serving, and knowing that their discipleship is going to be called upon from time to time. And uh, they're stepping into the fray. And And um, and um, it's, it's – I mean, uh, the leader uh, named Nadim, he – He's they're passing out water and sandwiches and listening to God and it's very early in the thing. But um, you know when COVID hit the church worldwide, uh, the institutional church didn't know what to do. It knocked the wind out of it because what are we going to do without without this thing? Our our, our PI teams uh, just pivoted. They said, "Hey, we already are life on life. You know, we're house church mobilized and already." So the the flexibility and the ability to to pivot uh, in crisis that sounds more like the early church, you know they got persecuted in one place though so they just moved into another one and kept doing what they were doing it wasn't dependent on a budget a building, you know a bunch of butts in the church that weren't doing anything, and so uh, the simplicity the simplicity of it so we have teams as I said we have teams in Western Europe and um all th- and throughout the United States. And it's just, they're just a they started as just a, a small handful of friends who said we want to do something that reflects you know um, the impulse of the essential nature of the early church. So it's three things: communion. We're going to commune with God. We're going to worship, pray. We're going to listen to God, and do that together as well as you know on our own. But I mean, we're going to do that together. We're going to. Uh, learn how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In other words, we're going to actually not just, you know, be community in theory, but we are going to live into the encouragement and accountability uh, rhythms um, to what we believe God has called us to and what we've promised Jesus and we've announced to each other Like, I am going to, you know, I'm going to find a way to invite you know, this person that works across the hall from me to to lunch this week and you make that announcement and then the people come around and pray and then you come back the next week. How did it go? Inviting that person. Yay. If it happened and why didn't it happen and how can we encourage you? But there's that real community um, to living the life Jesus made possible. And then there's tangible mission. And, uh, it, you know, there's so many things called missional you know, and we're on mission, and we're a missional church. Why are you a missional? So we send a few bucks overseas every now and again, or once a month we do a serve our city. Or, but it, but the idea of actually letting mission be the outbirth of your identity, which is you are a missionary. So that means it's you're 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 on. You know, with your neighbor, you're on in your neighborhood, in your network, and um, and so NPI. That's what we're learning to do. To to, to uh, behave as a simple expression of church, go on mission uh, and, you know, befriend people towards discovery in Jesus and then invite those new people to participate in what we're doing and multiply everything along the way, including new leaders that are going to run it, indigenous people from the community. So we don't build a dependency on our uh, Novo missionaries. We give everything away and move on and do it again and again and again and again.
0: Okay, so let's say someone is listening to this, and they either find themselves in or have um, maybe experienced uh, what you call the high control situation, or you know maybe they're a, a leader like you who is just reading Acts or reading the Bible, and and they're not seeing this in their local context, right? Like, what would you say to people who are feeling this holy discontent or, um, you know, there's just got to be more, but they don't know where to go or what to do. <laughs> like, what do I do? And I think for most people, they we just disengage, right? You know, I'm just not going to be a part of it, right? But wh- what would be your word of encouragement uh, for them? Yeah, so... The- you
1: know, again, this is probably oversimplifying, but I think there's, there's three common reactions when somebody's sitting in the middle of something that's not working. Um, one is they can just conform and they just because they're supposed to, so that it could be legalism, it could be peer pressure, family pressure, uh, it could be spiritual abuse, whatever, but they stay in an unhealthy place. Uh, a place because they—that's what they're supposed to do. A, a, a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm done with this, and they leave, and they're against church. They're against the idea of organized religion. Um, and the third option is some people um, maybe they've. N- you know, maybe a combination of people that have left, but decide to do something positive, as well as people that are outside it, looking at it. And just, you know, that's what we're finding is there are some people that have never been a part of organized religion that are hungry for Jesus. And I love finding those people and saying, can we get you lit up and equipped? And that this third option is, is, is to do something. And so I would say to people, like, if you're in The first group, I feel sorry for you. If you're going to stay in a place, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I can pray for you, but there's probably reasons, psychological and other uh, that make that a difficult audience to, to convince to change. Um, I think the best shot for them is for them to have friends that have found something fulfilling and fruitful. So to those who have left and to those who are, you know, confused and hurt or whatever is. Just get it. Don't, don't try to change the church. Don't try to, I mean, again, I'm biased. I just, you're not going to change the church. Uh, Just get with a small group of friends and just behave like disciples. Just begin loving one another, loving God, listening to God and figure out, Hey, what could we do? What could we do together to make a difference? And with, with our neighborhood network and family and friends and, and uh, begin experimenting and, pioneering initiatives and the teams around the country. And, and, uh, we have a website and we have resources. There's so many ideas of what a, a, a group of, of friends could do together. Um, and it's exciting and it's fun and it's simple. We last two weeks, we've just in, invited a handful of friends each week over and we sit in our backyard, proper social distancing, you know, and, and have some adult beverages and then talk about Jesus. And, um, uh, you know, learning learning how to like approach scripture and prayer for people that are really confused and frustrated with the local church, but 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 together talking about that. I mean, we gave them permission. Like last night, the opening question was, "Hey, talk about your experience of church and you know Christianity since COVID," and it just created a really interesting conversation. And <laughs> and then we uh, we did a discovery Bible study on uh, on the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, the comments were like, you know, I've read this forever, but I've never, it felt like it was always like a preamble to the next, to the, to the real prayer or to the, you know, as a part of the liturgy that you weren't really taking serious, like, but Jesus said, pray this way. And it's like, Oh, all these lights are going on. Um, and, you know, we ended, we ended that little simple time with just, well, what are we going to do about it? And each one went around and shared how they were going to respond to the to the teaching of Jesus. And we made that before the Lord and one another. Um, and I, I think anybody can do that. It's simple. And our, you know, if, if, if the listeners, uh, w- were interested, they could come to what you guys are doing, you know, uh, just North of LA, uh, or, or go to our website, pioneeringinitiatives.org. Um, and we have, we have, uh, the desire and the capacity to help people launch these, these simple expressions of church. And it doesn't mean you have to leave. And so one of the con one of the concerns is like, I don't want to be against, I don't want to hurt anybody. Listen, just, just do it in a simple way, quiet way and begin living this, this thing. And then if, if it comes to where the Lord leads, that there's actually a shift, that's, that's, that's fine. But don't stay stuck. Don't live in reaction and don't stay stuck just realize it can be simpler than we've been told. It can be it can be simple so that it can simple can replicate and small means everybody can participate and um, and we just have so much more right within reach. Jesus said, "I've come and I put the kingdom right within your reach." And I think you know we need to repent as the church of making it so difficult and keeping it out of people's reach. So again, you can do it, God. You know, if you are a Christ follower, you have the capacity of everything inside of you to be a fruitful disciple and to make a difference to extend the kingdom
0: of God. Amen. Yeah, that's fabulous. Well, uh, anything you want to add, Kristen, before we kind of transition out?
2: No, I think that was so encouraging and inspiring and it's
0: good stuff.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks, you guys.
0: Yeah. Any last words, Bill, that um, you want to share with us? Yeah. I mean,
1: and I and I really mean this. It's just gaze upon Jesus. Read and reread the Gospels. Just um, fall in love with Jesus again. Um, experiment with unhurried listening prayer and just lingering. Um, like a wean child with its mother, so is my soul within me, like a wean child. I'm just, I'm just not concerning myself with great matters. There's got to be a moment that we turn that off and we just gaze at Jesus. We just linger in His presence, and let Him bring His inner healing, His love uh, to cure the pain of our hearts. Um, Jesus is perfect theology, and it, and it, to sort things out, we're not going to get there by by remaining you know in a reactionary mode or trying to fix other people we just need to get before this this king who loves us and he's you know he's the one who can heal the brokenhearted like no one else
0: yeah that's a good word i think it's a great way to describe a lot of people in the church they're 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 brokenhearted with the bride of christ my heart breaks for, for what I'm seeing. I know that's definitely Kristen and I's heart, like our heart, our heart is broken for the bride of mm-hmm. Christ. So, uh, well, thanks so much for joining us, Bill. Um, if you're interested in learning more about pioneering initiatives, uh, you can check out, uh, Bill and Jill, uh, what they're doing there and all their teams at pioneering initiatives.org, right. Yep. org. Yeah. And then also you can check out uh, their parent organization, Novo, um, at Novo.org. And, um, you know, it's an organization that we are a part of as well. Um, So once again, thanks for joining us in this episode of Only on a Sunday. Uh, join us next time as we'll talk about different models of church, different expressions. We'll go a little deeper into some of the things that Bill was talking about today and how they differ from your traditional models. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at the or on Facebook, just type in Lowry's on Mission and uh, we will pop up there. So again, thanks for joining us and we will see you next time.